0: Our faith, handed down to this age, came to us through sacrifice, oh, heed the faithful words of Christ. You can be seated, please. All right, we are continuing to recognize our children in here with us. I think we have, we've got two excellent Eli and Sophie so remember your part Eli and Sophie we're going to say the children of God the Lord be with you as you worship and you will respond and also with you All alright so Eli and Sophie the Lord be with you as you worship excellent Excellent. (laughs) excellent thank you guys Let's pray. In fact, let's just take a let's just take a second. Um, close your eyes if you need to, if that helps. But uh, take a deep breath uh, and just take a second to check in, if you haven't already, to where you are, to God's presence here with us. Maybe just to yourself, uh, just whisper a quiet prayer. Thank you, God, for being with us. Yes, Father, we thank you that you meet us right where we are and that you meet here with us tonight. That you meet us in all the stuff that we bring. We come tonight uh, submitting to you and submitting now to your word. Pray that your spirit would come and illuminate your word for us and also illuminate our lives so that we may increasingly be the type of people who are able to not just hear your word, but to receive it and trust it as good news so that we can live in light of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All of our lives, everybody, uh, the whole world, in different ways, um, if you just pay any attention to yourself or to the world around you, you'll notice that uh, uh, people's lives are characterized by obsessive and destructive behaviors. (laughs) Obsessive and destructive behaviors. Uh, in fact, uh, if, if you thought for not too long either about your own life or about um, all the people around you, you might be able to think of specific um, obsessive or destructive behaviors. Uh, in fact, um, I'm kind of going off the cuff here. I'm not really sure that this is a good idea, but we're going to go for it anyway. Um, let's just name. Like, if, if one comes to your mind, like an obsessive, this, this isn't you, of course. <laughs> Um, but if just like an obsessive, a particular obsessive or destructive behavior uh, comes to your mind. So one that comes to my mind is uh, that uh, I can obsess, especially um, if I think that I need to earn something. Like I will, I will work myself to death. I'll stay up all night and obsess and work, and that reaps destruction in my life and in my family's life. First, what else do you guys notice? Again, this doesn't have to be you, right? Right. Uh, other obsessive or destructive behaviors that characterize the world that, that you inhabit? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Or it's not good. That's a good example. <laughs> we have a pretty image-obsessed world we live in. Yes. Image-obsessed. Yes. Other obsessive or destructive behaviors that you guys notice. Needing things to come immediately, quickly, conveniently. Yeah, needing things to come immediately, quickly, conveniently. Yeah. Other people, of course. Of course. Yes. Not me. Yeah. Desire for money. Yeah. Yeah. Desire for money. Craving money and security. Yes. Yes, striving for for perfection. Yes. Proving them right. Yes. Proving them right. Yeah. Obsession with control. Yes. Yeah. Obsession with control. Yeah. Any other obsessive or destructive behaviors that we want to get out there? (laughs) Anger (laughs) and resentment. Yes. people in your family. Yeah. 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 Power. Yeah. Yes, power. Yeah. I'm sure if we uh, if we kept going we could we could name, we could think of some more and of course um, we can own how we are uh, how we practice some of these obsessive and compulsive behaviors. Um, one of the things that, that is not often recognized is that uh, these obsessive and compulsive behaviors, behind them, behind all of these obsessive and compulsive behaviors, that so maybe, maybe the things that you named like don't characterize your life, but maybe they do, and, and to different degrees, the obsessive and, and destructive behaviors characterize all of our lives. Um, But one thing that definitely characterizes everybody's life, even though those obsessive and destructive behaviors can kind of wax and wane with where you are, one thing that characterizes everybody's life is the inner pain that stands behind and underneath and gives rise to those obsessive and destructive behaviors. There's an inner pain that characterizes all of humanity that actually gives rise to those things. And tonight, friends, tonight we embrace the good news. That Jesus sees beyond the obsessive and destructive behaviors that characterize our lives. He sees beneath these, and he sees our inner pain. He sees our fear, want, and defensiveness. Jesus sees beyond obsessive and destructive behaviors beneath them, and he sees our inner pain, and he invites us into his presence. He sees Beyond those things, and he shepherds us. He sees our inner pain, and he shepherds us into his presence. As he shepherds us into his presence, he frees us from. He frees us from fear, want, and defensiveness, and for living in Eucharistic abundance. He, I know, I know. Okay, so tonight, if, if, you, if there's anything that I want to unfold for you guys, I want to unfold how, how as Jesus sees our inner pain, and as he shepherds us, what he invites us into is this reality of Eucharistic abundance. And actually, what it means to live in God's kingdom, one of the things that it means to live in God's kingdom is to live within a reality of Eucharistic abundance. And I know that's like a like big term, right? That I just kind of plopped down in there. And I'm going to continue to unfold it. But for now, what I mean by Eucharistic abundance is that I'm talking about Jesus' presence. And the fullness of life that comes with Jesus' presence, right? This is that thing that we keep talking about that goes beyond the transactional mode of salvation where we just get something but that Jesus is actually present with us and there's a fullness of life that comes from being in his presence. That's what we're getting at, is that Jesus is inviting us out of fear, want, and defensiveness and into living in Eucharistic abundance. He's inviting us out of that fear, want, and defensiveness. That's an easy way maybe to summarize that inner pain that characterizes all humanity. The fear, want, and obsessiveness is what the psalmist is getting at in Psalm 23. You can hear that in that psalm that's so well known. Getting at fear, want, and defensiveness. And this, the thing about this fear, want, and defensiveness is that it often goes unnoticed. Because we live in a world... Even though we have this image that we heard read tonight, that we read responsibly, this image of Psalm 23, uh, and if you could bring that image to mind, it's rich and it's full of imagery, we live in a world of like a warped Psalm 23, a distorted and warped Psalm 23. And instead of calling us out of fear, want, and defensiveness, this warped world of Psalm 23 actually shapes us for and shapes us into fear, want, and defensiveness. All the things that we named, fear, want, and defensiveness, just intensify those things and, and, are, are, and we're shaped in those things. And what's, what's twisted, what's difficult about this world is that, is that not only we're shaped into those things, but we're shaped not to notice those things. We're shaped just to focus on the behaviors themselves just on the obsessive and destructive behaviors, to only see those things on the surface and not see what's going on beneath them. And what's worse than that is that there's an antagonism that also characterizes our age, that uh, when we look at others, what we see in others is their obsessive or destructive behaviors and not what's going on beneath those things. There's actually no space in the world that we live in for seeing deeper pain. And so then we're left. We're left in this world either uh, playing this weird game of accusing one another of of having different kinds of obsessive and destructive behaviors. Or stuck in cycles of trying to fix and manage our own personal obsessive and destructive behaviors or those of others. There's a story of a woman whose name is Marcia. Marcia. And Marcia uh, lives in Durham, North Carolina. Um, and one night, uh, Marcia uh, was on her way uh, to pick up a guy named Tony. And this guy named Tony um, was uh, in the process of um, as a recovery process. Like a few years before, he had, he had spent some time in prison, and he had been released from prison. And Marcia was meeting with him um, as a part of this relationship, this program that she was a part of, to help kind of reintegrate and heal the wounds that uh, were a part of his life. And so uh, at, on her way uh, at night, driving over to this, uh, to this guy's house where he was, she was going to meet with he and his wife and his kids, um, she pulls up to uh, the curb thinking that she sees him um, on the side of the road, uh, but it's actually not Tony, it's some other guy. And so she had rolled down her window thinking it was Tony, but it wasn't. And before she knew it, this guy was in her car. Uh, and it's clear immediately that this guy is not well. And he's acting erratic. Um, and, and he's demanding things of, of her. Just take a moment. How, how would you feel in that space? What kinds of things does that trigger in you as you think about that situation? One of the interesting things to note about what led Marcia to be in this place is that Marcia works for an organization uh, battling gun violence in Durham. In the organization, in years prior, it had started by using a strategy to solve the gun violence problem. Like There are these people who are well-intentioned and well-meaning, and they were going to come in and they were going to solve the gun violence problem. The attitude was, we will help them with their bad and destructive behavior." And, that, and they primarily went about that through trying to change public policy. And after a number of years, it became clear that that like, wasn't actually doing much to, to, to meet the violence, the pain and the violence. And it actually wasn't getting access to the things that mattered most in people's lives. It actually wasn't getting access to the inner, deeper pains that resided in these communities and in these people's lives. It was only addressing the surface stuff. The bad and destructive Behaviors, And so she learned over time that this wasn't working. And through, um, through an experiment with being with people, actually what they did is they created these vigils to be with people who were suffering the pain of gun violence. And by being with them and being among them, they started to see the inner pain that stood behind people's obsessive and destructive behaviors. The inner pain not only of the people who were victims of violence, but also radically the inner pain of the oppressors and perpetrators of violence. And so they started, they shifted their, their strategy from trying to fix these things to being with the people in their pain, both at these vigils and also going into prisons and, and being with people who had committed these things. Through this process, Marcia learned God's abundance, the, the Eucharistic abundance that set her free from fear and want and defensiveness. And led her into this space that night, going over to Tony's house. She found freedom. And it's this kind of freedom that Jesus uh, is inviting us into, even tonight. Inviting us to, 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 to receive. That he sees us. He sees beyond our obsessive and destructive behaviors. And he sees our inner pain. And he invites us into Eucharistic abundance. In our gospel reading tonight, our gospel reading there in Mark chapter 6, it's interesting because this gospel reading actually is two different units kind of squashed together. There's a middle part that's been taken out, and I'm sure that the people who organized this in the Book of Common Prayer had really good reasons for this. Uh, but the two sections that are kind of pulled out there, like right in the middle, um, are the, the story of the loaves and the fishes, and the story of where Jesus walks on water. So wedged in between those two encounters that Jesus and his disciples have with the crowds, one uh, as they're trying to rest and one as they wind up in a different spot than they thought they were going to, is the story of the loaves and the fishes and the story of uh, Jesus walking on water to them in the boat. And this is important because the intersection of these stories reveal how Jesus is the new true shepherd. And he's the shepherd who calls us out of our fear and our want and our defensiveness and leads us into Eucharistic abundance. That's what we see in the intersection of these two things. So that's why I'm not trying to be weird about the organization of the lectionary readings. I'm just saying, like, this is an important thing here to notice. So as we listen, like, and as we look at this, we keep in the back of our minds the image of the good shepherd, that image that's evoked there, both in that Jeremiah reading where it talks about how God is going to send a new shepherd... And in the Psalms, that well-known Psalm 23, and it's this image of the good shepherd. Again, the good shepherd who is not just sitting back and waiting for sheep to wander to him so that he can give them good things. You follow me? But the good shepherd who is traversing, who's going out of his way, who's traversing the wilderness to go out and to save and rescue the lost sheep. And so we pick up in this point uh, in in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus and his disciples are returning from mission. If you remember in the weeks before, Jesus sent out his disciples in weakness to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom, the repentance of sins, and he sends them out and they've come back from mission. And the first thing that Jesus is inviting his disciples into after this time of mission of going out and being with people is a time of rest. He's not trying to, to maximize their popularity, right? It's not like, hey, guys, we've got a good thing going on here. Let's, uh, let's expand our popularity, maximize our influence here. Let's, let's double down on this. No, he's inviting them into rest. And so they're supposed to go to this desolate place to rest. And it's as they go to this desolate place where the story gets interesting. And this is where the author Mark, is focusing our attention here because this is where things go sideways. They're trying to go to a, desi- to a retreat, center, to rest. They're trying to head over to Eureka Springs to rest. It's, Eureka Springs is not a desolate place like this is. It's a beautiful place. Um, but things go sideways. And what goes sideways is despite their best attempts to retreat from the hustle and the bustle of ministry, their journey is routed, literally routed, by the needs of people. This, these crowds who have run on foot like around the water ahead of the disciples probably like overnight to to route them and, and meet them over over where they are in this desolate place, even before they arrived. But what's important here? So this is what happens: is this this seem to be confronted with a problem? We're trying to go rest. We're trying to go on this retreat, and all these people, these crowds, with these probably obsessive and destructive behaviors and needs have shown up, but watch how Jesus responds. See what Mark says about how Jesus responds. It says that Jesus sees them, and he, he doesn't see primarily their obsessive and destructive behaviors, and even, even probably the obsessive behaviors that led them to chase them around the water Probably, who knows what their motivations are, right? Mark doesn't talk about what their motivations are. Who even knows what their motivations are? Their motivations might have been, like the gospel writer John says in another place, that they just wanted food. Their bellies were hungry. Who knows what their motivations are? But that's not what Jesus sees. What Jesus sees is their inner pain. He sees them. He has compassion. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd jesus doesn't see them he doesn't see their situation as a problem or a barrier to what to his needs or he doesn't primarily act like they're just crazy folk who want something from him even though remember there are times in the gospels where jesus names that that the crowds are just people who want something from him he says that in in john chapter six who are only interested in getting something from him but jesus sees beyond that he sees beyond their actions, and he locates in them the inner pain that all humanity carries, that we all carry beneath the surface of our often obsessive and destructive behaviors. And it's in this place that we see Jesus reliving into this image of the, of the good shepherd. He's, he's reliving, he's fulfilling, he's, he's, he's bringing to perfection what Jeremiah was talking about, where, where, where God was lamenting how all the shepherds have led the people astray. And God was going to send a new shepherd, one who is characterized by faithfulness and justice and righteousness. A God who, who comes and is among, who pursues his people, who calls them out of fear and want and defensiveness from enemies. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He sees, he sees sheep who are incapable of self-rescue. who uh, Sheep who go when they try when they realize that they're in a bad spot, they go catatonic. You may have heard this before. Like sheep lose their biscuit when they get away from the fold. They, they lo- completely lose the ability to like point themselves in the right direction. They go catatonic in confusion and fear. And every attempt for them to try to rescue themselves only gets them deeper, messed up. They need, it only makes things worse, they need the shepherd to come. And for the shepherd to throw, you've seen this image to throw the sheep over the shoulders and to carry home. That's what Jesus is doing. That's that's the image that Jesus, the, the role that Jesus is living into. And so catch what happens next, though. So Jesus sees them, and he sees them as the good shepherd, and catch what happens next. The inner pain of the crowd is met with Eucharist. With the loaves and the fishes. And you might be saying, like Seth, you're reading in a little bit here, it's just a meal that he gets. But, but remember the language that Jesus, this is, this is the literal language that Mark uses in this passage. Mark says that when Jesus says, okay, what do you have? The disciples are freaking out. They're like, Jesus, what? You want us to feed them? We're in a desolate place, Jesus. Our lives have already gone sideways. We're supposed to be resting and you want us to feed them. And Jesus says, give me what you have. And so they have a few things. And this is what Jesus, it says. It says, Jesus took it. He blessed it. He broke it, and he gave it. This is the pattern that will characterize his own life of taking and blessing and breaking and giving, his own life for the life of the world. And that ongoing characterizes the life of his disciples that they gather around Jesus' presence, around Eucharistic abundance, and they take, bless, break, and give. That's what's happening here Eucharistic abundance is just a fancy word for talking about the life that Jesus is offering these people in his presence. The life that meets the inner pain, even in the face of death. Jesus' feeding of these people isn't primarily about meeting their needs. They're just going to be hungry again. Jesus is offering them his life, and more than that, he's, he's, he's showing the disciples what it looks like to live in his kingdom, what it looks like to live in uh, the abundance of his presence, in the, in the presence of the good shepherd. And so things went, things went sideways, but, but Jesus saw their pain. So get this, this. So this is big. Jesus not only sees the inner pain, but he meets the inner pain right where we are. He meets the inner pain right where we are in it. Things went sideways. They were in a desolate place. And Jesus sees the inner pain and he meets it. And he he invites them into Eucharistic abundance right where they are. We don't have to go somewhere else to live into the reality of Eucharistic abundance. It's right here, wherever you are. Wherever you are tonight, I know some of your stories, I know a little bit about where you are, but you, of course, know more about yourself than I do. I but wherever you are, those are the conditions. Maybe this, I don't know, I'm just thinking, maybe this is the most important thing I'm saying. Whatever the conditions are that characterize your life right now, even the conditions that, that are like, my life is kind of going sideways right now, those are the conditions in which Jesus sees us and meets us as the good shepherd, in which we can live into the reality of Eucharistic abundance. Those are the conditions. Because it's those conditions that Jesus, as the life of the world, can take, bless, break, and give. That he can transform those materials into Eucharist for us. And we don't have to track Jesus down in order to get him to do that for us. He's already there. A huge part of it is just waking up to the reality that Jesus is already there, already in whatever our situation is, waiting for us, inviting us in. So that he can take the materials of our lives. And we can trust him to transform it. So that, so that we can live out of, or not, not out of, but we can, we can be freed from fear, want, and defensiveness and live into Eucharistic abundance. So that we can live as if everything that we need is here. So that we can live as if everything that we need is here. And that whatever comes to us, we can accept. I have a huge problem with that. Like, accepting the things that come to me. Someone mentioned control. Maybe Grace mentioned it. Yeah, I have a hard problem accepting the things that come into my life that I don't control, and now that I've got a toddler running around, that just happens like every second of the day. I say that, I mean, it is funny, but like, what's being revealed in those moments, like, aren't random, they aren't, like, those are the very places, right? Those are the very places where Jesus is inviting me out of fear, out of want, and out of defensiveness, self-protection, so that I can live as if everything that I need is there. And that I can accept whatever comes. Not that it's something that God, that God likes or that it's a part of his trajectory of goodness of all things. But that he can work Eucharist there. And this is the way that we're being invited to live. This is what Jesus is inviting his disciples to live into, is to live into a Eucharistic abundance. And so both as individuals and as a community, as we live into the reality of Eucharistic abundance, living as if we have everything that we need and that we can accept everything that comes, this is a witness. This is part of how we are present with people and witness to the goodness and the grace of Jesus in, in this age characterized by that distorted Psalm 23 characterized by antagonisms that only see, that often only see, the obsessive and destructive behaviors. So that story, uh, Marcia. Um, so she had been on the phone with her husband uh, as she was pulling up. And she realized... Um, so what happened was, in the car, she, she engages with this man. Who, this is a scary situation. She engages with this man... And and um, sees his inner pain and just offers to help him, offers to take him wherever he wants to go. Um, says that she sees him and that that God sees him and that he uh, and that she wants him to be safe that night and to get home safe, just like she wants to get home safe. And she says, "I'm sure you have a family, and I want you to be able to get home and be safe with your family." She's inviting him. She's inviting him out of his. Fear, want, and defensiveness. And she pulls up to the curb where Tony is. Like the guy runs out of the car. And Tony, like familiar with that neighborhood, is like, what were you doing? You could have gotten yourself killed. And it turns out that when she had put the phone down and thought she had hung up, that she hadn't hung up. And her husband was on the phone the whole time. And she found that out when she got home. And she was like, oh my gosh, like my husband is going to be so angry, because he was already, he had already been kind of nervous about, like, this profession that she's in, because it's it's not a safe profession. And her husband said, at first, I heard everything that was going on, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I needed to hang up the phone and call the police immediately, but I just heard the Spirit of God say, listen and wait. And he listened to how Marcia was present, and it was evident that, that she was living in the Eucharistic abundance, and that she was living at, from, not in, but, but away from fear, want, and defensiveness, and was inviting him into that. And he said, Marcia, God is real. I'm not afraid anymore. This is just a picture, this is a parable of, of, what, uh, of what the reality of Eucharist abundance looks like. So here's a few things. Here's just three quick things that characterize what our life can look like, that's characterized by Eucharistic abundance. One is that it means that we can just get curious about inner pain. Whether it's our own inner pain or whether it's the, the, those around us with uh, obsessive and destructive behaviors. We can get curious about our inner pain and about their inner pain. And get this, so making space for this type of listening is a Eucharistic act. Like you can imagine it as if like, because you know in a little bit I'm going to come here and I'm going to prepare the table. I'm going to set the table with the elements. You can think of it like that's what you're doing, either with yourself or with someone else. You're setting the table there for them, making space for that type of listening and getting curious about their inner pain so that you can witness to Jesus as abundant life. In the posture of Eucharist abundance, it also looks like um, just taking the materials that we have and offering them. We talked about this a little already. Taking whatever the conditions are of our life and offering them, trusting that the Spirit really can, the Spirit really can take those materials that we have and make them for us a means of God's grace. This is what it means that, that that we live in God's kingdom. Even in ways that we might not have guessed. And the final thing is it means that that we don't have to live self-protective or zero-sum mentality. We don't have to live self-protective or with a zero-sum mentality. We can always live for the flourishing of others. Because we recognize that we're all in this together. Whether someone's pain is similar to ours or it's like way different and, and disruptive their destructive behaviors are. Like we all share that inner pain and we're all in this together and that means that that someone else's, that my flourishing, that our flourishing is tied up with and in other people's flourishing. So rather than trying to assimilate people into our lack of destructive behaviors, rather than try to assimilate them into that, we can see ourselves in their story and identify with them and not treat others as a threat or as an enemy, but rather get curious with them about their inner pain, and walk with them in the abundance. So here's here's a way to respond tonight um, during our prayer time. Uh, here's a way to respond. This is this is just a prayer of thanksgiving. So we pray kind of different prayers in our prayer time. This is just a simple prayer of thanksgiving, and it's just a simple prayer of this. Just and if you want to name something specific, you can name something specific. But if you just want to be generic, that's fine. Just to pray, Jesus, thank you for seeing my inner pain. Jesus, thank you that you see my inner pain. Part of the response can just be verbalizing that. So uh, that's a way for you to respond tonight. So as we continue to worship, we pray that the Spirit um, continues to illuminate our life. So that we can be the types of people who live under the reality of